0: Good times roll. Thank you very much, Grizz, for that intro. Uh, Thank you very much, dear listeners of this pod, for tuning in. I'm your host, Andreas Georges, and you're listening to the Red Bulletin Podcast, and we're talking to uh, top performers in the world of adventure, sports, culture, music, innovation. We're talking to them uh, about the uh, hurdles that they had to overcome and and the tips and the secrets that made them better, and um, we're a little bit... Obsessed with pain on this podcast as well, mainly because I probably don't push myself to that pain limit too often if I can get away with it. Um, We had a wonderful interview a couple weeks back with Camille LeBlanc-Bazinet, who is a CrossFit champion and a woman who says she likes to make pain her friend. And that conversation was very much in the back of my mind uh, when I spoke to today's guest, a young man, a very talented ultra runner. Uh, by the name of Dylan Bowman, who hails from Colorado uh, and Marin, California. We talked to Dylan about uh, why he got into long distance running and the perspective uh, that long distance running gives him on uh, regular life, on uh, minimizing what might be a big deal in in real life um, after you've completed a 100 mile race. Everything seems a little bit more relative. We also talked to him about, and this was pretty interesting, talked to him about how his negative personality traits uh, in in his normal day-to-day interactions with folks, like, I don't know, say his fiance, how they're actually beneficial. His impatience, his stubbornness is actually really beneficial on the trail. Um, It's it's rare you get to hear uh, folks who do this for a living speak so um, eloquently and insightfully, uh about uh, pushing these incredible limits these incredible limits of, of pain and, and uh pushing past them so uh stick around it'll be a good one and here we go dylan bowman you started out as a lacrosse player is that a running man's game
1: yeah, it is. I mean, certainly to a certain degree, depends on what position you play. Um, I made myself useful on the field as the the hustle guy. Yeah. So I uh, stayed on the field in transition, played offense and defense, hustled for loose balls. Um, and yeah, basically if the goalie made a save, he looked for me, gave me the ball, and then I ran it down to the other side <laughs> so we could play this some is, offense. That's so, great. <laughs> yeah, it it uh, it uh helped me develop, you know, athletically and also um, from an endurance perspective. Yeah, me but, running. I mean,
0: surely you had that since, like, I mean, you must have been one of those kids where your parents had to, like, take you out all the time to run around, right?
1: You know, it's funny to look back at it now because, you know, now I'm certainly, like you – know, very high energy person, you know, I feel like I'm kind of a a mountain person, loves to be out and about for long periods of time, but I had... At least one or two phases as a kid where I was, you know, too cool to uh, go hiking with my dad or didn't feel motivated to go ski sometimes. And and I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, which is, of course, an endurance mecca and never ran as a kid, you know, at least in any organized um, sense. You yeah, know, but that's of, a bit weird, isn't it? Right. right. I, I
0: don't know. I think I think kids running marathons is a bit odd, like five to whatever, 12. Right. Or something like that. It just yeah. doesn't. I don't know. Is it, don't you think, like, kids should just play as opposed to, like, run and oh, set races? Yeah, or no, anything? I
1: mean, I'm actually really happy I never ran yeah. in an organized way. I mean, cross-country or track or anything like that, just because I'm so fired up about running now. And I feel like if I would have done it when I was a kid, maybe I wouldn't have the same level of enthusiasm now. And I may be carrying more injuries and more wear and tear than I do. So, yeah, but... Uh, yeah, it was a great place to grow up. And yeah, I was an active kid, but it was mostly like team sports oriented. It wasn't like, let's go spend the day in the mountains like it is now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and the team sports gave you what kind of satisfaction? Like, what do you miss about those days?
1: Well, I mean, first and foremost, just the camaraderie of it, you know, and, um, having a group of guys you see almost every day working towards a common goal was always a highlight the guys I played lacrosse with in college are still my best buddies. In fact, this weekend we're going to Nashville for a Denver Bronco football game. A bunch of the guys I I used to play lacrosse with. So you definitely miss that. But um, it taught me, you know, the value of doing something every day and gave me that lifelong um, ambition to, you know, hone your craft towards an end goal, Um, you know, Somewhere off in the future. And the camaraderie aspect still has kind of translated to running, even though it's a very solitary endeavor. A lot of the guys I race against are really good friends of mine and I know their families, know their wives and kids and parents and, and think of them as some of my best friends now too. So Right, interesting.
0: Yeah. Is that is that different from what the culture is normally? I mean we can get into this later, but I'm a, you know, I love this idea of the ultra runner as like this solitary figure. Yeah. And um, you know, there's that, that famous book Born to Run by Christopher yeah. McDougall, which mm-hmm. I, I know you've read. Uh, which uh, tells the tale of, uh, what was he, the Caballo Blanco. Yep. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> the like white horse. True. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Who yeah. was running in, in the badlands on the border between uh, Mexico and U.S., mm-hmm. anonymously covering massive distance over many years. I mean, is that, is that image kind of, mm-hmm. is that more typical or less typical of kind of the ultra runner?
1: Yeah. I don't know. It certainly attracts uh, a certain personality. And you have to have some... Level of, you know, being an introvert, I think, to excel in the sport yeah. just because it takes a lot of solitary hours, you know, uh, being out in the wilderness alone with your thoughts. And, but, you know, there's also a lot of personalities in the sport as well. And I think it attracts kind of like the extroverted introverts because myself, I mean, I love talking sports, I love, you know, hanging out, being social. But, I also really value my alone time and, um, you know, the, the older I get, the more I, I realize that. And the you know, the more I value, you know, just being at home alone with my dog or, you know, on the road, listening to podcasts on my own. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a balance to be struck there and I'm not sure I, I have a great answer for it, but <laughs> right. I think there's, um, People in the sport kind of share the the personality I kind of just described.
0: And you're you're relatively early in the game too. When when did you you moved to Aspen? Right after after college, which was in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah. Right? Is that so you...
1: I grew up in Boulder. Okay. I went to school in Fort Collins at Colorado State University. Oh, okay. And then yeah. Yeah. And then moved to Aspen. The Rams, exactly. Yeah, yep. I have
0: a complete useless knowledge of um, yeah. <laughs> college mascots. <laughs> Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, uh, what? Well, what was the question? Sorry, I don't uh, even know. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: No, you uh, you moved to Aspen after. <laughs> right. Why though?
1: Yeah. So uh, when I was in school, I um, just kind of went up there on a whim one summer after my freshman year, just to to work for the summer. You know, I did the classic hospitality. Um, you know, just to to have a good summer in the mountains and ended up going back every summer after that. And you know, then, people
0: usually go in the winter. Right. That, yeah. Right? right. So what what do you do in the summer when you're I guess you run or you bike ride or right? Something like yeah. That.
1: Well, so this was when I was still in college, right? right? And since I was playing lacrosse, we didn't really have an opportunity to to work during the school year. And so to get a job in the summer, you know, it's fairly easy still, even though Aspen's a winter destination, to get a seasonal job for the summer. And so that's what I did at the time and had such a great time that summer. And this is well before I had started running in any sort of organized and and serious way. Uh, but I had such a good time that summer that I came back every summer throughout college. And then, of course, after college, I had the typical, well, what am I doing with my life? Well, I have connections in, in Aspen now. I know it's I can get a job. It's amazing college my... doesn't answer
0: that question. Oh, right. That. <laughs> Not even college. I mean, like, you know? <laughs> no, I mean, right, why right. do you pay all that money exactly. to have that question yeah. answered? And it doesn't do it. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, I ended up in Aspen. I was there for... Um, I did nine summers, and then I lived there full-time for five years before uh, moving to the Bay Area. Small town. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you know everybody then. You get acquainted. Hunter S. Thompson was there, legendary, very important figure to the podcast. I don't know how important to you. <laughs> no,
1: yeah, absolutely. And he's still a very important figure in Aspen. Right. And um, you know, I still consider Aspen home, even though I've lived in the Bay Area now for for three years. Um, I would probably go back and visit. What is it you like about it up times. there? I mean, just mountain culture. You know, when I when I think of myself, I think of myself as a as a mountain person, and right. and I feel most comfortable in those environments. And um, obviously, like the access to wilderness is world class there, um, the year round. Um, adventure sport opportunity i'm a big skier too um so that's obviously important um but yeah i mean living in mill valley now you kind of get the same feel even though it's so close to a major metropolitan area uh if you've ever been there it feels like a small little mountain town too and um so yeah i mean there's a lot of things that make it attractive great local population um really you know tight-knit group uh, community feel so yeah it's a it's a great place is
0: that where you got is that where you started long distance running
1: it is yeah okay. so it was after I graduated uh, from college um, when I had stopped playing lacrosse and I finally for the first time in my life didn't have like a organized sport um, that was sort of guiding my everyday activities and to be honest I felt like pretty lost without that that outlet, without the competition. And so I just signed up for a marathon kind of on on two weeks' notice in Breckenridge, which is a neighboring ski town a couple hours away from Aspen, and kind of did it on a whim and ended up having an awesome race and an off, awesome experience.
0: I mean, it's at altitude, too. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not the easiest first marathon, I right, should say. Yeah. But, and, I mean, granted, you were a collegiate player known for hustling all over the pitch all the time, mm-hmm. right? So it wasn't that much training required maybe or am i well, wrong on
1: that? yeah so it was also a, a trail marathon too so it's kind of a unique um part of my development is that i was never a runner you know i never ran track never ran cross country never ran like road marathons i went straight for for trail races and this one in breckenridge was yeah trail marathon at altitude and um you know, kind of, I guess, intrigued me and it's a spoke to some curiosity I, I had, um, internally just about, um, you know, what I could do and, and what I was capable of. And, and I think being an athlete my whole life w- made it fairly easy for me to transition to just purely endurance sport. Um, and, and I think trail running specifically because of the fact that each step is a little bit different and you have to be, just like a little bit more athletic than you need to be just to run in a straight line on a road, like, you know, the professional road and, and track runners do uh, having that level of agility and athleticism made it fairly easy to transition.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, it's, it is, you're constantly doing mental calculations as you run, right? It's not, it's <clears throat> not just set, you know, right. it's not just on a track.
1: Right. So ideally you're, you're sort of zoning out and kind of just following your instincts, but you do have to make calculations of, am I going too fast right now, given how long the race is? Should should I be running this climb harder to try and catch up to the guy in front of me? Yeah. yeah. Things like that. You're always, you know, looking at your watch, trying to do math about when you're going to get to the next aid station, things like that.
0: What do you think about this is what's fascinating. Yeah, it's like, so what do you what do you think right, about?
1: Right, right. That's you know the million dollar question, and um, a lot of the times you really think about nothing. And, and I think those are sort of the moments that you cherish and that you really you know, that that sort of answer the question of you know why do I do this? And at, but at the same time, you can be lost in thought for a whole run, thinking about something that's stressing you out in your life. Um, you know, frequently it's easy to, to kind of think through problems you're having, whether they're career problems, relationship problems, um, you know, any other sort of personal thing that you're, you're struggling with. But in racing, obviously you're thinking about the competition a lot. You're thinking about water, food, speed, how far to the next aid station, but it's interesting because you know you're thinking the whole time but there's there's moments where you you really do kind of achieve you know a, a little bit more silence and looking back at, at races particularly the really long ones there's there's moments where you kind of don't have memories of of the race you know particularly the later stages of 100 mile races i'll look back at them and be like i i don't have much of a memory between <laughs> mile 80 and mile 90 and um who knows why that is maybe it's just your body and and mind kind of shutting down anything that's not moving you forward um but yeah is i that mean it's scary by the way um
0: i mean we all have those you know we get too wasted at night and then we have no idea what happened <laughs> yeah, like between yeah. the hours of 11 and 2 in the morning <laughs> yeah, but right. uh, when you ended up r- waking up in bed in yeah. a panic but um Ultra running is obviously different than a night on the town. Um, how, uh, you know, is that concerning that that the whole body shuts down, essentially, except for everything that pushes you forward?
1: Well, I think it depends on how you look at it, right? I mean, obviously, it's not uh, a normal thing to lose your memory because of excessive exercise. But at the same time, when I look back at those days, like, those are the most important days of my life, right? You know, those are the days where, like, I feel like the most enormous sense of accomplishment and you know self-satisfaction and so you know to to sacrifice a little bit of memory for those sorts of experiences i think is a is an easy trade-off um
0: do you have a busy mind
1: uh i wouldn't say that no i mean i don't really struggle ever with getting anxious or nervous before races you don't
0: overthink stuff
1: Uh, generally no um but you know, like anybody else, I can get lost in in thought and let unnecessary things kind of yeah. affect me negatively. But
0: I, I, for me, it's just uh, you know, uh, I I have no comparison. But I think every every pod body listening to this podcast has has run at one point in their life or tried to run or tried it as a as an exercise, mm-hmm. you know. And then what stops the vast majority of us is that threshold that you hit where you are just you just don't really want to push past that mm-hmm. you know so it's always interesting to me to you know to talk to folks like you and understand like what <clears throat> at what point do you know are you aware of it and how do you push past
1: yeah because well, you do
0: it on a super size scale right, right. <laughs> we're like oh we've been running for half an hour and my legs are really tired yeah. and i don't want to go the extra 15 minutes but for you it's a hundred mile race
1: Yeah, well, I I think it just depends on what your motivation is. You know, for me, it's a big part of my job. It's my livelihood. It's my passion. And so when I get to the moments where I don't want to go or I don't want to do a specific workout, you know, then I just think, well, what's my competition doing? What do I need to do to make sure I'm as exquisitely prepared for whatever the date is off in the future where my next competition is? and then use that as my motivation to, to get out the door or or get whatever, uh, workout done that, that I need to, but, you know, I've certainly gone past the limit too. You know, I've, I've done too much racing to the point where I get really fatigued. I've put myself in the hospital while running and, um, you know, so it's, it's hard to know what that limit is. Right. And, uh, so, you know, I guess it's, it's hard to always find a a healthy balance between the motivation to, to train, to make sure you're fully prepared. And, um, then, you know, to the point where it becomes too consuming and negatively affects your, your health. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, a balance you're always trying to, to strike.
0: Do you, when those voices come, do you, do you find you're good at turning them out, tuning them out, or is it, you know, um, are you, at the same time, you talked about that balance. I mean, that balance is really difficult, right? It's because on the one hand, you know, your job is to race long distances to beat other people. That's what you get paid to do. On the other hand, um, there is overtraining syndrome is a big problem within your sport, within most endurance sports. I'm just trying to figure out when the, have you gotten better about identifying those warning signals?
1: Absolutely, I have. And um, it's something that, is really my number one priority is to ensure that I'm in the sport for as long as possible and I've now been in the sport long enough to have seen a lot of people come and go and see guys come and be super successful for a year or two and then never be the same again and i think one of my biggest strengths has been my ability to be consistent year in and year out and i kind of attribute that mostly to the fact that i'm i'm good at at metering the level of racing that i do how often i race and also my training you know i'm i value my downtime a lot and you know here we are in december which is obviously the, the end of the year but also kind of the end of the racing calendar so um, I'm sort of in that mode now of you know taking a, taking a break both mentally and physically where uh, I'm not following a structured training program, I'm not doing a tremendous amount of of volume and I'm just getting out mostly for the love of it you know however long I want to um, taking extra days off when I feel like it, you know, enjoying a couple extra beers, some, some more food around the holidays. Um, and so, um, yeah, you know, again, the balance, it's like, I want to be able to win the biggest races in the world, but not at the detriment of my long-term relevance in the sport and my long-term health. Um,
0: was there like a Eureka moment for that? Because I know, I do know you did blackout from heat exhaustion, exhaustion yeah. if we could pronounce that correctly. Um, was that kind of a watershed moment for you? Or?
1: Um, I think it was to a certain extent. That was kind of a, a freak accident and um, certainly something that I'll carry with me uh, and gave me a lot of valuable lessons. But I think I valued my downtime and my long-term health um before that that incident what that incident taught me was more so um you know, to not take races lightly and you know that's a, a longer story in itself um but, you know, basically it taught me to not get dehydrated, really. You're right, and right. It was, a, it was a quite a scary and, and quite an expensive uh, mistake to make. Oh, um, because of the hospital bills? Because of the, the hospital bills, man. yeah. Is this before or <laughs>
0: after Obamacare?
1: Uh, this was uh. Well, let's see. I guess it was. I didn't have Obamacare, didn't have Obama but God. I I I had health insurance. Luckily, I mean, it was a right. twenty thousand dollar hospital bill, but luckily I I had insurance. But I had the the catastrophic insurance plan, so my my deductible was enormous. Uh, and, but um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I that that taught me, you know, the that I am capable of pushing myself too far. You know that. My central governor can fail to the point where your body and mind will force you to stop.
0: What's a central governor?
1: Well, the if you read the kind of literature on an endurance sport, basically the this ideas, is the
0: downtime you're talking about. This is what you're reading. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. know
1: yeah. right. I'm a big student of the game and, and love looking into the stuff. But the central governor theory is that your brain will force you. To stop before you reach your physiological limit, right? So when your brain senses that you're getting the, close to the to the edge, it'll give you other indicators to encourage you to slow down. Whether it's nausea or vomiting or you know muscle pain, whatever it is, those are sort of tricks that your mind is playing on you to to try and convince you to slow down. And when you run past that, that's when it takes full control and says, okay, you need to sit down, which was what happened to me when I had that heat stroke incident. And yeah, again, I have no memory of it. It was quite scary and um, something that I'll I'll carry with me, but at no point did it discourage me from continuing in the sport and uh, continuing to, to kind of chase those those goals.
0: How important is it for you to, I mean, you just mentioned that you were talking about, um, <clears throat> you're talking about the central governor, which is, uh, I imagine, to be like a little British man inside of you with the name <laughs> like Pritchett or something like that. He's, all right, governor, you know, and like governing your bodily responses to things. But anyway, that's that's my own little bizarre uh, tangent um what i'm actually trying to get to is um how much do you reading do you do outside of the sport like how much are, how much is it important to be, because you spend so much time um with your thoughts like thinking about ultra running all the time probably isn't fantastic mm-hmm. you know how do you engage in the outside world let's say
1: yeah sure so i mean i i do a lot of reading outside of the sport too um, and I most recently I read a book called *Sapiens*, which was a total mind bender. Amazing kind of history of the the human race. Um, and I I get a lot of um, satisfaction reading a lot of I mostly nonfiction. Right. Usually I listen to a ton of podcasts. Nice. Um, but as a person, I'm hugely into sports, you know, across all spectrum. So, um, yeah, I do read ultra running books. I read triathlon books. I follow the NFL. I follow all professional sports. I listen to interviews for top athletes across all disciplines. Um, and I, and I take little nuggets from, from each of those and, and try and apply it to my sport. But as it pertains to, you know, the more human side of, of myself and, and non-athletic side, I think I do nurture that enough yeah. too, just uh, by reading, reading books, watching documentaries. I, I
0: think it's important, right? I mean, it's, I, I just try and imagine the culture that you're in all the time, right? And mm-hmm. And I mean, you were in a competitive lacrosse culture, you mm-hmm. know, which I imagine is probably a little bit different than playing for the you know the football team at colorado Mm. state right which is probably pretty myopic and pretty one note you know Mm -hmm. uh lacrosse i imagine you guys got up to different things and you know um had interests outside that you could indulge right Mm -hmm. uh i imagine long distance running scene the ultra running scene attracting this very unique type of person you know the person that is very good being solitary very good pushing them to the max Mm -hmm. um pushing themselves to the max um is the culture of it is that suit you is that uh typical or is it um or am i getting it completely wrong
1: totally i know 100% the the culture of the sport is what originally well i think the curiosity originally attracted me but the the cultural aspect of the sport is what's kept me in it for so long like i said i'm i think of myself as a mountain person and and love the mountains feel most comfortable in the mountains right. and um the the scene, as I also mentioned, you know, I have a lot of my best friends in the world now are the guys that I compete against. And it's rare that you can find a sport where that's the case. I was going to say that right. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. So
0: that's, that's really, there's this sense of camaraderie after the race. Oh, a hundred percent.
1: And, you know, make no, no mistake when we're out there, we're trying to kick each other's ass, but afterwards were the first people to give each other a hug and
0: is it cuz there's this sense of common suffering that you guys <laughs> go through 100% right. like it's
1: right. really it's hard to explain but when you go through those really intense and really difficult trying experiences with other people and you know they've gone through the same thing and you both come through the other side there's just a connection that you have and a good good example of that is my first time running the Leadville 100 back in 2010, this is only like a year after I started running. I ended up just falling into basically the same pace as this, this guy named Zeke Tiernan, who is really well accomplished runner. He ran at the university of Colorado, um, lives also in the Aspen area, but I, I never knew him. Right. And, and, uh, we met each other there at the Leadville 100 and, and ended up just by chance kind of falling into the same pace for like almost 75 miles. And we'd never met each other before. And then after the race, you know, he beat me by like 10 minutes that day. And, uh, we laid in the medical tent together, just like, shaking our heads like wow what a what a crazy day and then he was like one of my best friends in the world after that yeah that's great and uh yeah so i mean it's just when you go through something like that the relationships develop quickly and and they become really strong Bonds
0: yeah. built in the medical tent tend to
1: stay strong. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> How often do you end up in the medical right. I mean, tent you're after a race? Shaking uncontrollably. <laughs> just, yeah. Is that what happens? Uh, yeah. Well, usually after 100 milers, like you, you definitely need to lay down for a little while. Right. You know, if, if it's 50 miles, you can pretty much walk it off, maybe sit down, drink a soda or a beer, and, and, you know, within an hour, you're feeling pretty normal. But at least for me, after the hundreds, I've had, you know, pretty serious you know like need to lay down and and you know the bouts of shaking and nausea and things like that which uh again sort of make you question why you do it but at at the end of the day you know the next day when you look back at it and all those those questions seem pretty silly
0: really is it because it's that big i mean it is a huge accomplishment but that you would remember that so fondly as opposed to focusing on the difficult parts of the race that's the interesting thing like that high is almost delayed it's like that runner's high comes after you like roust yourself from the medical tent and have your first beer and then like a day later you're like damn that was amazing what i did you know that's odd right the pay the payoff is a little bit delayed it seems
1: oh totally a hundred percent and yeah you're right i mean sometimes you think like what a what a lousy way to make a living. And you just like suffer all the time. (laughs) But, you know, at the same time, yeah, I mean, those days are so, so powerful and, and so important in my life. And I think have helped me well beyond, you know, sport have helped me develop as a human. And it's almost like, you know, women who have children, right? If you have one kid and you know, it's a terribly painful experience to to give birth you know why would you ever want to give birth again but it's the satisfaction that you get yeah from from being a parent and maybe that's a bad example but i think it's it's kind of the same
0: yeah talk about that how it helps you in other parts of your life though is it just um yeah how like is it the the (coughs) i imagine the mental preparation of course but also just, just the way you approach things
1: yeah i think it just makes everything seem less hard <laughs> and okay. less um, important, you know? It just it, it helps you to not stress about the little things that aren't worthy of your stress. And obviously, the mental toughness and the belief in yourself that you can get through things is greatly enhanced when you prove to yourself that you can get through things. And being able to draw on those experiences and examples of like, Hey, I thought I wasn't worthy of this and I did it, you know, um, helps you then in the future, maybe in a totally different context, whether maybe it's professionally you think, you know, maybe you're not qualified for a certain job, but you know, damn it, I'll work my ass off to make sure I'm good at doing my job. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's also certain, you know, negative personality traits that I have that um are enhanced also by by running and, you know,
0: competitiveness to, or what.
1: Yeah, I I mean, when I think about it, I'm a very impatient person and right. I think running uh it's it's that's an asset, right? You know, because like I don't lollygag, you know. I I don't um if I'm if I'm having a tough spot and I'm walking up a hill or if I'm at an aid station, I I don't know. I think that, um, impatience forces me forward more. I'm also super stubborn, you know? So, um, if I I feel like the race isn't going my, my way, you know, uh, I'll usually, um, be stubborn enough to just keep banging my head against the wall either way until i get it done you know and and i think those uh, again are assets when it comes to racing and competition but certainly if you ask my fiance about my impatience she'd have a uh, a different perspective on it right just, uh, just right. because it, it uh is not the best character trait outside of sure. outside of running so
0: but you know it- you can just tell her it helps pay the bills, right? So much. <laughs> right. like that ring. Well, I think like she that understands. That costs money. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> she understands, but that doesn't mean that right. she shouldn't be annoyed at me. Right, <laughs> no, that's yeah. absolutely the case. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're uh, the 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 biggest the biggest shows. I found it interesting actually that um, you know there's not like a, a you know it's not like a monthly thing. Your races, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you have different distances you have the 50 miler the 50k the 100 miler the 100k um but that you go all out what how many times a year do you have like a big 100 mile race
1: um so it it depends on on the year right and so when you're thinking about your calendar as i am now for next year uh really you want to pick one or two major focuses and then have you know two three four other smaller focuses and so But again, going back to the necessity to be moderate in the volume of racing and the intensity of racing, um, you you really have to keep that in mind as well. And so I actually I didn't do a 100 miler this year. Uh, I went to a race in Japan that was supposed to be a hundred miler, but due to weather they had to shorten it significantly. How'd you do in that one? I won that race. That's um, great. Yeah, it was it was awesome and Japan was one I mean, one of the my favorite places to yeah. visit. But um uh,
0: Murakami, by the way, a Japanese author yeah. writes brilliantly about yeah. running.
1: Yeah. I I read have you his book. That out? Yeah, you that yeah. Out? What okay. is, I can't remember the name um, of the book now. What I think about when what, I, think about. I think about what I think about when I think about running. Yeah, yeah I read exactly. that. One. Yeah. Um. So yeah, to just to answer your question, each year is different, right? Yeah. And and you have to know what your number one goal focus is going to be, and and then build the season around that that goal. And uh, for myself personally, I, I like to do. Um, no more than 100 miler a year, but because I, I haven't done one now for a little while, I'm thinking about maybe doing two next year, but having them spaced out rather significantly so that I can give myself proper time to recover after the first one and then build back up in training for the for the second one. So how
0: do you... How often do you race, then?
1: Uh, This year, I race six times. Uh, Usually, it's in that neighborhood, five or six times. And again, you know, you pick two that are kind of the most important, and then the others more. I mean, obviously, you're still trying to do really well at those races, but maybe not giving them the same mental or physical significance as as the other two.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you have to pick and choose. It must be very difficult, actually, to pick the ones that you're really really going to go out all out on and especially personally personality like yourself like that idea of not going all out is probably pretty difficult to wrap your head around
1: yeah well and it's getting more and more difficult every year just because new races are popping up all over the world and people are you know inviting you to these amazing experiences and so yeah you know you have to align your um your motivations with your physical capacity to do certain things. And, um, so it is, it has been interesting to kind of learn how to say no to certain opportunities to travel to places that you would otherwise really want to go. Just knowing that if I go and do that race, it's going to take away from my ability to perform at, This other race which which happens to mean more to me at a certain time and and again like i really want to have a long career and i think that if i do i'll be able to get to all the races that i'm motivated to participate in at a certain point yeah and so just having trust in that fact uh helps me to to kind of say no to those those things
0: crazy by the way also how the um the industry is blown up right mm-hmm. when did you enter it 2009 i want to say you started doing that
1: yeah 2009 i ran my first my first ultra and yeah, so we're and, we're
0: 7 years on now mm-hmm. and you're i mean you're one of the top runners out there and and there just seems to be more and more of a culture there seems to be more i mean have you seen the difference even in these last 7 years around it
1: yeah 100% and it's attracting newer younger Better athletes, more brands coming into the space. Like I said, races popping up all over the world. See people coming from other sports, kind of like myself, but also you know some of some really fast road runners who bring a different kind of pedigree. Um, And, uh, you know, triathletes and things like that who are are kind of crossing over into the trail space as well. So it's really exciting to see. It's a fun time to be part of the sport. Right. And especially for me, like as a fan uh, of sport, it's great to follow, too, because there's exciting stuff happening all the time. Yeah. Yeah,
0: there's um, uh, one of the folks that works with you, uh, Lisa, on the Red Bull side was talking about how – how how addictive the news is around it, you know, how how there's a real just kind of, you know, the way you just kind of follow along, you know, it's, it, it almost feels like at the moment you're part of this exclusive club mm. and you're getting like kind of insight into this really cool like growing sport uh, mm-hmm. that you know, that isn't football, and is isn't baseball and isn't, you know, basketball. It hasn't mm. reached the mainstream really properly, but, but still has this kind of like, mm. will he, won't he, you know, is he going to come at the end? Is he going to spurt past? or is she going to pull this major move on this part of this, this section of the hill? I mean, there's, there's, I mean, they're long races, but I imagine there's, there's moments of real drama to them. As well. Oh,
1: absolutely. hundred percent. And, uh, the race that was just in Marin this last weekend, the men's race was, an all-time classic where the guys that finished first and second were within 30, 30 to 60 seconds of each other almost the whole day, which is nearly unheard of in our sport. But, you know, like with the growth of the sport, there's obviously some growing pains too, and some, some negative things. Um, you know, we spoke off, off mic about performance enhancing drugs and, you know, the, the likelihood that that'll end up being more of an issue in the future, you know, and, and how do you maintain the growth of the sport while, um, maintaining the family feel that you have at races and the really sportsmanlike vibe that, uh, has always been the hallmark of the sport. So there are certain people who bemoan the, the growth of the sport and the yeah. influx of money, um, you know, obviously, as, as somebody who makes his living, or at least a lot of it, off the sport, it's it's good for me, uh, and I do have lots of of cool opportunities. But I can understand the the folks who kind of um, yearn for the good old days. Um, so I, I'm hoping they're, they're that, always there. By the way, right? Yeah, right, right. And I'm confident that just as a as a community, um, you know, we, we are empowered yeah, enough and, to keep it the same. You know,
0: honestly, man, like. It's a hundred mile race. Like, mm. how many people are going to want to do that? <laughs> right. Yeah. You there's know what, what I mean? Limit like, to there's the a, there's a real right. barrier of yeah. entry there. One hundred percent. Uh, I mean, I, I can see how it attracts people from, you know, kind of endure, other endurance sports. Like, I think Lance Armstrong ran, has, has run an ultra race.
1: Is he's that wrong or he's wrong? never.
0: No, he's well, never run. He might have, he might have yeah. just, that might have been like a yeah. Leadville bike thing. But He's gotten
1: into trail running a little bit. And <clears> I've <throat> I've actually gotten out with him uh, just once. We went for a run in Austin. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's got that same mentality that all endurance athletes do. Just that, you know, it's it's fun to get out and, and hurt yourself a little bit every once every once in a while right right
0: apropos hurt yourself how do you um do you plan we were talking about moments of drama in a race do you know in a race when you're going to go big when you're going to pass you know when you're going to drop back when you're going to you know can you plan for that or is it spur of the moment
1: there's a certain amount of planning that you can do but of course with most races the plan kind of goes out the window pretty quick. So I try not to put too much emphasis on, on, you know, planning out a strategy, but you kind of recognize when the crux moments of races occur, you know, in, in doing your research prior to the race and seeing where the aid stations are and where the most important climbs of the day are, you can kind of get a sense of where the pack might split up more or where a a certain part of the course might suit your strengths or weaknesses as an athlete and then making decisions based on that of like, hey, I know I'm going to be really slow on this downhill. So maybe I'll push the next, the, the following climb to ensure that, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, get too much of a gap. So, um, yeah, there's lots of, pre-planning that happens are
0: you, are you a slow builder by nature or are you a guy who like charges i'm a slow builder
1: yeah okay. i like to be uh, an even racer i like to I, I find that i get a lot of mental strength and, and, and a lot of momentum when i'm catching people and yeah. it helps me to stay motivated during a race i'm not somebody who particularly loves being chased and <laughs> right. uh having a target on my back, I like to be the one that's chasing. Um, but you know, I, I've also been able to win in both styles. Right. So, and that's, that's a good experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Confidence boost to know like, Hey, I can win in this style if if I want to. And so when you race certain athletes and you know their style, then you can sort of think, okay, well maybe, maybe I'll adjust how I usually race in order to be more competitive against this guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I feel like there's this... By the way, you have a day job, right?
1: Yeah, I do. What's yeah. your day job? Yeah, so I work for a company uh, out in New York City called Hypoxco Altitude Training. Okay. And so we manufacture a technology that simulates altitude. So mostly for athletes, obviously. People who are trying to get acclimatized to go climb in the Himalaya or anywhere else in the world. Uh, people like me who live at sea level, but... Train or but but race at altitude a lot against guys who have the benefit of, of living at altitude, right? Um, and you know, so as I said, I'm big fan of sports <laughs> and things like that, so it's really fun for me.
0: How often do you sleep in a tent? Then, uh, altitude training tent what yeah, are we yeah those things
1: yeah altitude. so yeah we just call them altitude tents okay got it. and ahead. uh yeah so it, it depends really on the time of year and the races that i'm preparing for so right. certainly if i'm going to be going to a race at altitude uh i'll sleep in the altitude tent i'll ride on a stationary bike at altitude um things like that to help prepare prepare me um
0: does does it feel different when you're in an altitude tent sleeping oh totally yeah Yeah, so how do you like how difficult is it to fall asleep
1: it's actually you sleep much better you do Mm -hmm. yeah you sleep really deeply the thing is yeah so it's just a matter of like convincing your significant other to uh Sleep in the altitude tent. She too. needs to sleep in the altitude right, tent right, too. Right. right. She's not like take unless the altitude tent unless on you're going to go into the yeah guest bedroom or, <laughs> or whatever. Um, but yeah, you sleep well, sleep right. really well in him, and um, yeah, there's a lot of evidence to suggest it's good for recovery and and things like that. And, right. and and so it's you know to get back to the larger point of having a day job, I, I think it's really helpful for me actually as an athlete because I'm not totally committed or not totally reliant on my performances, which I think allows me to, um, put less pressure on myself, maybe contributes to the fact that I really never get nervous or or anxious ahead of races. Plus it fills time, you know, and if I didn't, didn't have it, um, I think I'd, I'd get bored, you know, Uh,
0: you might overtrain
1: might overtrain. And we've seen that a lot. You know, there's very few people in our sport who are truly professional, And uh, we've seen in the past uh, people who have quit their jobs who then uh, suffer, you know, because they all of a sudden have all this extra time. And to fill that extra time, they exercise more when really they, they could be focusing more on on recovery and having a job, I think, is is helpful in that respect. Plus it's mentally stimulating helps you develop in other ways as a person totally uh, but also it gives you
0: other stuff to think about mm-hmm. i mean that's the thing right it, it's it's like i'm always i'm all about with your sport i'm all about like stimulating the mind for those moments right. when you're just when it's like eight hours of just one thing yeah. you know because you gotta be thinking like i would all when i ran i always thought about how much pain i was in right I was like the exact opposite like that runner's high thing i maybe had like a passing acquaintance with it yeah. at one point you know but it, it's so you know those people who like almost smugly talk about you know oh my god it's great you know like runners high That's yeah. it's fantastic like i
1: yeah
0: I, I i and and with you it's like
1: how can a high last right
0: 100 miles you know
1: yeah and it's really rare to, I mean, at least for me too, you know, I have maybe a handful of runs a year that are like those magical runs, right? And I run almost every day, all year, right? And so that's a very tiny fraction <laughs> yes, of your overall runs, runs that are, off, yeah. that are great. Right. But when they happen at the right time, it's like yeah. transcendental experience, you know? And it's something that you then crave almost addictively, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean... Again, the job is great and, um, yeah, helps me, I think, as an athlete, particularly as, as somebody who's keen to follow all these other sports and work with other athletes and try and help them get better too. It's really yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I'm, I'm sure you spent, like, a lot of time thinking about the – denver broncos quarterback situation last year <laughs> going into the whole season yeah, and that yeah. gives it, i mean there's got to be stuff on occasion that you could just wrap your head around for a while
1: oh like, yeah I, totally. You know?
0: totally um your big uh, the big events are the western states right the is that the western states 100 is that is that considered kind of like the super bowl of your
1: that's yeah one of the biggest okay. races in the world and why is yeah, that Yeah, so it was it's the oldest trail hundred mile race oh, in, okay. in history. So it's kind of what started it all. It's kind of the, the, the grand granddaddy of them all. And because of that fact, it's got great tradition. It's got uh, a mystique unlike any other race. And, uh, you know, it's got an unbelievable story about how it was started. Basically a guy, it, it was a hundred mile horse race from Squaw Valley, California to Auburn, California. So it's a point to point race, originally, like I said, a horse race. And one year, a guy named Gordy Ainsley's horse was unable to start the race. And so he said, well, I'm just going to do it on foot and, um, ultimately made it to Auburn against all odds and, and finished a hundred miles on foot. And then, you know, a couple of years later, there's a couple of people joining him. Right. And it's grown like that ever since. Wow. When, and when was that? Though? That, that was, was, I think like 1979 maybe. Wow. Yeah. That while ago. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So, um, the course itself is really unique too because you start in the high country, you start at altitude and you run through the mountains a lot early. And then in the middle, you're sort of going through these canyons up in the, sort of Sierra foothills. And it oftentimes gets brutally hot in the middle of the day there. And then the the last third of the race is rather fast, rather runnable. So you have, um, all sorts of different environmental, um, factors. You have, you know, all different kinds of running, like the mountain running and then the, the hillier stuff. And then the, faster stuff later in the race so you have to be a really re- well-rounded runner as well plus the level of competition is always super super high which adds a, another um factor to the race as well um so yeah it's one of the greatest races in the world and and certainly in the u.s and yeah i've been lucky to, to do it a few times now have you won it i've never won it no i, I finished third back in 2014 that was my best finish but that's
0: amazing yeah, it was great.
1: Yeah, it was great. One but of the that's got to be
0: goal right now, right? Is Certainly, to, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to, to win that race someday. Um, and I think it's a race that suits me. Um, so I'll it, get back it to it. It
0: starts hard, gets harder. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's a kind of a... a- power run towards the end then
1: yeah i mean it's just like suits a, a good all-arounder you right. know like not a mountain specialist not a, a flat you know, a road specialist um but somebody who can kind of compete in either of those contexts so um yeah there's a lot that's very attractive about the race and and certainly a race that uh i'm excited to go back to in the future
0: that's great mm-hmm. and then and then what's the other big one on your calendar
1: uh, the big one on the calendar for next year is the Ultra Trail to Mont Blanc, okay. which is basically the equivalent of the Western states in Europe. So right. it's it's kind Ooh, of... Mont Blanc. It's going to be beautiful up there. It's amazing. So the race yeah. uh, starts and finishes in Chamonix, France, right. and it's about 105-mile circumnavigation of Mont Blanc. So you go through France and Italy and Switzerland and uh do a a full loop around the mountain and um it's uh production unlike anything else you know there's 2500 people in the race and several what? thousand more people out um, in each of the towns that you go through
0: 2,500 people running
1: yeah. the race yeah There's that and, many people oh, on
0: earth who are into this
1: oh that's <laughs> way more i mean if <laughs> they let everybody in who wanted to be in the race there'd probably be 10,000 or more Crazy. people so that's the, the main objective for next year it's and the, what's the
0: challenge there is it is it?
1: Well, 100 miles, first <laughs> I mean, and foremost. Yes. I mean, that's the base <laughs> yeah, layer yeah, now, yeah. though. Okay. So, what's
0: the, what's but, about this particular 100 uh, mile Yeah. What's so, the,
1: so I'm somebody who's super motivated by competition, you yeah. know, and, and so this is one of the most competitive races of the year, certainly in the whole world. And, um, so that's a a major motivator for me. It's, uh, also very difficult mountain course. So over the course of 105 miles, there's like 30 to 33,000 feet of climbing. So it's relentlessly hilly, relentlessly mountainous. Um, and the winner of the UTMB, um, typically takes I want to say, you know, almost five hours longer to finish the race than the winner at Western States. So it gives you an idea of how much more difficult it is for wow. nearly, nearly the same distance. What, it what, takes. Are
0: the, what are the hours? I mean, what what's the time on each of those?
1: Uh, the Western States is usually one in about 15 hours nowadays, okay. and UTMB is 20 to 21 hours. So five, six-hour discrepancy in nearly the same distance gives you a good idea of just how much slower, how much more challenging the terrain is at at UTMB. And it's a race that uh, I sort of have unfinished business with as well, because I went out in 2013 to run and was fit and and ready and hungry. And I got there two weeks before the race. And on my first run, I I blew my ankle out and was unable to even start the race. So, and I, and I haven't been able to get back to to do it since then. So I'm super motivated for that one, um, there at the, at the end of August in 2017. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Dylan thank you for coming by
1: man hey it's a pleasure pleasure. yeah awesome very cool
0: dylan bowman doing things that we certainly never will certainly not first name james our engineer certainly not t Riz, our producer uh but uh maybe some of you out there are inspired or motivated You've been listening to us on ACAS. You've been listening to us perhaps on iTunes. And if it has been iTunes, I strongly encourage you to go and leave a review. Uh, why don't you rate us? Why don't you complain about the host? Uh, give us ideas on what kind of guests you'd like to see. You can also hit us up at uh, the Red Bulletin USA on Twitter. Go to the Red Bulletin. We're on Facebook. And of course, theredbulletin.com is our home. It's also the home of some excellent stories uh, in the video, in the words, in the images world. Um, Talk to you next time.